Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 156. And this interview is with Karen Lerner, CEO of Top Left Design, design agency based out of Soho in London. With her deep background in design, Karen brings a refreshing view to online marketing. In this interview, we talk about design thinking, what makes for great user interface and a beautiful design online, content marketing, copywriting and headline writing, as well as bringing a luxury experience online. Karen provides a lot of really useful tips and tricks coming from someone who walks the talk. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today I have Karen Lerner. So Karen, tell us who you are and what you do and what is your mindset? Um, I am a designer originally and I run a design agency and I've been running my agency for 13 years. It's called Top Left Design. There's seven of us and we're based in Soho in central London. And because I come from a design background, I... I guess my mindset is to look at things and see where I can fix them. So how do I improve them? How do I make them look better? How do I make them sound better? How do I make them communicate better? And as I've evolved into a business person, I'm really, really interested in business. I love that I get to meet and talk to loads and loads of other businesses. And I've learned so much along the way that... When I meet people now, I usually have something I can tell them about or that I have a related experience because I've met other people in similar businesses. Um, and the other thing about me, I guess, is that I'm quite sociable. I like to communicate, and when I work, I work best when I'm with other people. So I like to meet up with people who are also running businesses and work with them in coffee shops if I'm not in the office with my team. I, I like to be with other people. That's I don't good. like being alone. I got it. And so we're at Soho House, which is a perfect example of, of hanging out with other people. What's interesting about design, uh, Karen, is that there's you hear more and more the, the need for uh, better design making in the School of Design and out of Stanford, and the need to make better design. And these apps, it's not just about the solution, but it's the user interface. What are the types of things that you bring into making good design? I mean, when you're working with your team and your clients, what, what, what is it that, how does one make good design? I mean, that's sort of a, the, a tough question for people in business who are not so used to design thinking. Um, well, not everybody comes with a good eye for design. I've had many people who have come through my company as interns or work experience people who are studying design and some of them really struggle to see the difference between what is good design and what's not and it's, it's quite um, subjective so it's not something you can really you can tell people oh that doesn't look good and that does but it's sometimes people have to naturally come to that conclusion on their own um, what makes good design is if something fulfills its purpose so when, because we're in the commercial world and creating marketing design so websites and email newsletters and brochures we want to make sure that not only does it look good but it communicates what we want it to communicate for the correct audience and it also follows basic design rules about spacing typography color balance and that sort of thing has to be learned 
um, some people find it easier than others. So is it somehow about making sure you, that the purpose of what you're trying to do is clear? Is that something that really needs to happen up front in order for the design to be well done? Yeah, I suppose um, keeping it simple is always the safest bet. So if you're not experienced in design, you can go for a minimalist look and make sure that your words are clear and there's not too many other things interrupting um, the words or the too many other colors. And then um, looking at other people's designs on a regular basis and reading design blogs will improve your eye for design as well. The other thing we, I, I, I'm seeing more and more, because technology tends to sort of be this considered anyway a cold interface a computer a computer interface yet it's always a human that's somehow interacting on the cell phone or typing on you know looking at your website so this notion of human-centered design and the, and the role of the human's interaction how do you integrate that into your processes and make sure that it is intuitive enough and attractive enough to the people who are using it uh, part of it comes from experience, putting yourself in the shoes of whoever it is that's going to be interacting with that piece of design or that piece of communication. Um, you know, asking our clients, who are you? Who is your audience? What are they like? Finding out more about them, and usually our clients understand their their clients more than we would, even because they're seeing them all the time. So if they can take out their own opinion and think like their clients, they're usually going to get a better result. Right. So when you, with Top Left Design, talk about, tell us about the creation uh, of the agency. And today, in this really crowded field in London, especially in Soho and, and uh, where we are, how do, you, how do you stand apart? What's your point of difference? Originally, when I started the business, it was just me for four years. So I wasn't really a design agency owner. I was considering myself as a freelance designer and then over time I started thinking as more of a business and the original mission statement was to clean up the internet because when you go online you see there's a lot of horrendous websites and how can people have those representing their companies isn't, isn't it important how you look and how you sound so it's, it was all about that and now it's, it's still about that but it's not just the internet because we do a lot of print design and we help people with their events and their, their ways of interacting with clients and touch points. It's more about finding out what it is that's, that makes them uh, attractive to their favorite clients or attractive to the people that they want to draw towards them. And whatever that is, bringing that out and making sure that it's really obvious wherever they're seen. Well, you know, thinking about crazy sites, things like Craigslist or this, um, there's this crazy site out in Hong Kong, Ling's Cars. There's some of these ridiculously unattractive, I mean, hideous design from some kind of objective viewpoint, but still really work well. So how, how, how do you marry or how do you react to that, I suppose? Those are the surprise exceptions to the rules. And sometimes they're just, they just work because they're the first people to have done something like that. And there's a need in the market for something like that. And no one else is doing it. Or it's just so crazy and over the top that it gets attention. But, and, and it's true, there are lots of su successful businesses out there whose websites are awful, if you look at them, and their marketing <laughs> is awful and their branding is awful. And they're still successful. And I'm not saying that in order to be successful... Uh, you have to have everything looking perfect and beautiful. I'm saying that if you are successful, 
you should show that you're successful and, and invest in the way you're seen because you should be a little bit have a little bit of vanity about yourself. Well, when you look at some of the luxury companies, they're they're so attached to their image of perfection as you know, state of the art, and and yet the counterpoint is that somehow they just don't feel authentic. They they are so institutionally perfect, and they take months and years, and probably too many time too too long to load all the images. Uh, you end up with this feeling of it's not trustworthy. Yeah, with with luxury companies, um, there's this whole thing where they have to be exclusive, but it kind of contradicts today's world where everything is more open and we have social media and everybody wants to know which brands they're working with. They want to know who's behind the brand and what's the brand story and they want to connect. So I think that luxury companies are struggling because there's a conflict between what they originally thought is like, we're so special that only special people can have us and, oh, we need to be open and on the ground with our customers so that they feel they can talk to us so they're they're the ones who are going to struggle but there are ways to still feel high quality and luxury and and think more about how it's going to be an experience for the customer and part of that experience is being available answering questions and making people feel safe and secure and that you can you can be trusted mm-hmm. totally so when uh, talking about some of your clients karen um at, at top of design um maybe for those that you can tell us about, what are the types of briefs that are coming in these days and how do they differ from, let's say, over the last few years? What do you see coming in the most from your clients? Um, well, we, do, um, we, do, we have long relationships with a lot of our clients. So sometimes clients will come for something small because that's all they can afford or that's all they're, they're ready for mentally in terms of a change in their business. And then over time they add more to what they are asking us for. So an example is we had a client who's a ski, uh, family ski company called Snowbiz, a wonderful client. We love them. And they originally came for a social media training. So I worked with them on a one-to-one basis um, with Facebook and blogging and key messages and headline writing. And they implemented the things that we worked on together and they saw that they had more attention more people booking more success and they saw their business improving so then they came back and said we're ready for us for us to have one of your amazing websites and then we we worked on that with them and they were amazing clients to work with and we launched that and they've already reported that their business has increased 15 percent and because of their the fact that they listened and they did the they did the work on the marketing and that they, they do a great job for their clients so people come back. Right, so I'm going to circle back in a second, but let's just dig in on Snowbiz a second because the utilization of digital is, is looked at by many companies as the Valhalla, the opportunity to do things quicker, cheaper, faster, and, uh, and yet doesn't necessarily work for everybody. You said that something for me that was important. They said they listen. They listen to you. That's the good news. They, 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 they thought that what you said made sense and they implemented it. If you look at some of the other clients, not, of course you're not going to mention them, why is it that it doesn't always work? Because, you know, getting on social and, and having a website is, you know, it's almost like the basics today, but a lot of people are doing it and doing it wrong. What makes for the, your digital marketing work and, what, and why not? Um, it's very much about a mindset. So when, when I'm showing people the things that they can be doing and the basic rules of how to do them. Some of them are just like crossing their arms and saying, well, I don't have time for this. And if you feel like that, you won't have time because you won't value it high enough to make time for it. 
everyone, we all have the same time. And I always give myself as an example because I'm running a small business. There are only seven of us. And if you looked online, you'd think that all I ever did was sit on Twitter and all the social media channels and did it all day and blogged all day. I've, I've figured out ways to do it, batching my tasks and working with other people and shortcuts and tools to still be the one who's running all the channels for my company. And it's like a tiny percentage of what I do. I, I go to meetings. I oversee my team's work. I meet with clients. I'm training people. It's, that's my And email is like the biggest part of my my day social media and all that is a smaller part but there it's just about knowing that it is possible other people do it and if you enjoy it you're going to get so much more value out of it yeah so if you enjoy it you know why you're doing it that's the way i like to look at it so think about your uh, snow biz it's a family-run business they they know why they're doing it they probably have a shared core value system and that's shared throughout the organization is that true Yes, they do. I mean, they, they really, they're coming from, we want to do a good job for our customers first, uh, and then after that, we want to make profit and continue as a business. But then it goes back to, because we want to continue doing a good job to our customers. And if you have that mindset, you know that you need to deliver good quality in everything that you do, and that includes your communication. And that way, people see you as a good company and will be more attracted to you. And you won't feel that impatience that a lot of people see feel when they're like, what are our results and how come we haven't made money on this yet? Right. It takes time. Yeah, if you start with profits first. So it's just circling back to the question of what, what do you see people requesting more these days as opposed to the last few years? I think that the things they're requesting from us more are the things that we're talking about ourselves more so it's I guess uh, it shows our own marketing is working because I released a a slide share presentation and a PDF and a whole bunch of blog posts about the things that every website needs to be do and have and that includes uh, be responsive so that mobile friendly working on all devices WordPress a great design social media content marketing blogging and um, so people come to us for all of those things a lot um, lately, PR is coming more into it. I'm having to talk to a lot more of our PR partners and finding ways for their, them to be written about by online bloggers and publications. So we're working more with, with PR companies nowadays. And what about events? Events? Well, we, event marketing is such a, a really great way to, for any business to get known more and to be seen as doing something new and different. So we encourage our clients to do more events So, and we help them along the way if they need help with things like setting up Eventbrite or blogging about it or writing about it on LinkedIn and sharing the sharing the event hashtag and all of the different things that come into events. But events are really great for all. All right, so yeah, I agree. Um, so talking about social, because you, you, when you, it, part of TLD you do is you, you do trainings as well. With on social, help us understand it from your perspective. What are the social networks that where it's worth spending time as a brand for business, and and where's the biggest bang for your buck? Um, well, that depends on the business. Um, each business is different, and you have to think about who your audience is and where your audience is hanging out. But not to think, well, none of my audience is going to be on Twitter. So because most people, most different industries have people on Twitter. And you can't say, well, no, we're not, we're too serious for Facebook because pretty much everyone is on Facebook. Um, but I think the best thing to start with is think about yourself and your own personal brand and, and make sure that you've spruced up and done all you can on your own LinkedIn profile because your network is your most valuable 
part of you. And if you can, if you want anything done in the world, you're probably going to need to ask for help. No man is an island. So making sure that you look your best on your LinkedIn profile, which shows up when people Google you, and um, using that and connecting with the people you already know and building those relationships. And then maybe pick one other network that you feel comfortable with and learn that and learn how to do it properly. With all, I mean, like Facebook and Twitter, especially now that Twitter is looking for a new CEO, um, they're looking for their business models and they are for-profit organizations. And so they're constantly looking for ways to make more money. Uh, now the, the, the reality is if you put a post on Facebook, the chances of it getting more than 7% viewing on an organic level it seems you know very unlikely so how do you try and be more effective in the way you deal with your postings and deal with getting more traction on what you're trying to deliver out on social I think before you you think that you need to go out and and start paying for any of the social networks you should do the basics and do it well and so you earn the right to be paying for something because if you went out there and and set up a new Facebook presence and then started just paying for ads, it would probably not work. It would fall flat. You have to uh, consider your key messages and create a content calendar and put the full variety of different posts out there on a, on a set rhythmic basis with good, interesting content that's varied and appropriate for Facebook, which is where people go and relax and hang out. And then over time, you start to see what's, going, what's getting the best interaction. And then you'll you should pick the best types of mainstream posts and experiment with boosting them on, on uh, for certain demographics that are your target audience. Not in a salesy way, but just to see whether it picks up more people who are interacting with it. And watch other people in your industry and learn and really immerse yourself and slowly, slowly build up the confidence to spend more and more money on, on that. So... Karen, uh, you mentioned before some of the tips. Um, what, what would be some good tips and tricks you might be able to share with the guys, the audience? Um, well, first of all, to stop thinking about social media channels as standalone things. Think about your whole entire marketing plan as content marketing. So everything that you post and publish, everything that you share, and all the conversations you have are all part of your content marketing and creating, uh, brainstorming ideas on the types of content you could be sharing and creating that will align with the key messages you want people to believe about you. And then seeing how you can use each channel effectively in their own right, in the appropriate way for that channel. So think about, learn about content marketing. That's one so or Indeed, where would you go and find, learn about more about content marketing? Because in the end of the day, it's sort of a, it's a new concept as far as terminology goes. But storytelling has been, an, been around a long time. So at the end of the day, it's sort of like finding good content and finding stories that you can bring out. Where, yeah. what, would you, uh, what would you advise? Um, well, I've written a lot of blogs about content marketing. There's a lot of really good um, sources online, like Copy Blogger is a really good one, where you can learn HubSpot is another one. Um, and just if you, if you start looking around, you'll see that it's the huge thing that yeah, smart marketing people are doing nowadays. They're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to use Twitter. They're thinking, I'm going to use content marketing. So they're going to be sharing images and PDFs and white papers and blog posts and videos and all the different types of videos, Vine and Periscope, Instagram. There's so much out there. Not to overwhelm you, but it's exciting. And by having the 
using the different the different channels out there that are pretty much all free to use and learning how to how different people in your industry are using them you're going to get uh, you're going to get a much more varied and interesting presence online all right so any other tips and tricks um, well I've, I've mentioned headline writing there's there's certain headlines that will attract more clicks than others but you want to be careful not to look like obvious or you know clickbait so there, um, look online for things like seven types of headlines you can use or five different headlines at the top headlines I've written a blog about that as well because if you practice all the different types of headlines you'll have good variety between your headlines and and then you won't uh, look like all you ever do is do the same type of thing all the time but you'll have good headlines anyway well, well, what, what makes for good headlines when you are you know trying to find a copywriter how do you find a good copywriter because I mean that is sort of an old-fashioned art writing headlines uh, I think that reading reading good blogs um, will help you understand what makes a good headline or not and when, I, when you're curating on a regular basis that means looking for things you can share on social media you can skim read a whole bunch of headlines and see oh I'd share that or I'd definitely open that and then you'd start recognizing the patterns of what certain Make what makes good headlines. So a good headline needs to be very clear in its promise. You have to know what you're going to learn when you click on that, and you have to kind of get a sense of whether it's going to be like a big essay or a quick tips or something like that. Uh, there's how-to headlines are good, step by step. The ones with numbers at the beginning, the roundups, the best of this or the worst, the easiest or whatever, and something that gives you a, a why as well. So. And, and shows empathy, like why would you do something? Why would you want to learn about this? Cool. So when one of the things I see, you might have a great headline, then you click on it, and then all sorts of it goes south from there. For example, you get a pop-up that slaps in your face before you get the 31 best something or others. You have a pop-up, and then the next thing you find out is actually you have to click through 31 different yeah. slides, and it, you have to wait for the image to load. It goes south so quickly. When, when, I, when I work with people, it's usually their businesses, so they're not running these kinds of blogs where their money is being made by traffic. They're running businesses, and they need a website and a blog that helps to show them as a business that can be chosen by their customers. So they're, they're not often going to have those pop-ups and annoying things. Um, what they'll more likely have is they won't have developed their, their writing skills so they need to work on how to structure their posts to be more clear and use subheadings and make sure that it's good value for whoever is reading it to give advice and to tell stories and show personality and have the full mixture of those things so that uh, people can get to know their company, see the value of what their company is giving, but without feeling like they're being sold to and, and learning along the way. So do you find that you're still having to teach your customers uh, about avoiding being too salesy and too spammy? Yeah. Um, I run a lot of sessions where I'm going through uh, key messages and headline writing and in a room full of people there'll be some who get it straight away and then others who will just come up with a bunch of salesy sounding headlines and then I'll gently say, great, great idea but we need to make sure that it doesn't sound salesy and we'll tweak it together to make it so that it it's more valuable, high value. But yeah, people are still, you know, constantly looking for open rates and click rates, and and it seems to be the wrong metrics. You know, the, we we don't have an easy way to help people be a little slower in the way they develop relationships. There's always this fast date feeling. 
I'm, you've got to be a little bit more humble before you start asking for traffic to your website or open rates on your blog. You've got to know that what you've done is amazing and that you deserve... In fact, you should be ashamed if your website's not up to scratch and people shouldn't be coming there until you're ready with it. So first thing is to create great content, great headlines, well-written, good communication, good design. And then then you can promote that on your social channels and you can come up with you know five alternative headlines for one great blog post that you've written and make sure you share it amongst other things and you have to have a good mixture of other things that you're sharing in between so it doesn't look like all you ever do is share your one blog post. You've really got to you know build build together a proper content calendar and a good rhythm and good variety between the things that you're sharing to deserve that extra click rate. One thing I like about you, Karen, is that you walk the talk. You're you're actually doing it for yourself and for your agency. A lot of agencies seem to be the poorest shoed uh, cobbler. You know the, the expression in French, which you know you say the cobblers are the worst, the wear the worst shoes. When um, you're dealing uh, with a, a first, co- you know, someone comes to you and says, "Hi, listen, I'd like to, you know, I have a, a challenge, or I'd like you know uh, to work with you." What are the things that you? How do you structure? What's the process they go you go through with a customer that comes on board? Um, well, I'm quite a curious person, so I'm I'm always asking them about their business and where they've gotten to so far. I also ask them where their business is coming from now. If they're new to uh, the kind of marketing that we're doing, they're usually getting business from uh, referrals and uh, word of mouth, and that's interesting to find out what it is that makes them attractive to those people and what kind of service they're giving those people because that's what we're going to be bringing out into into the marketing so that when people view them online they're getting that message as well even if they don't know them personally if you if you create good content and you have a good strategy for how that's being shared and published you'll get people to you get people feel who feel like they know you when they come to you i've got that all the time people come to me and it's almost like I'm famous or something because they'll have watched my blog and read my read my blog post and watched my video or whatever. And then when they come to me, they feel like they already know me because they've already been immersing themselves in stuff I've created. And that happens with clients who are who are doing that too. Right. One of the things that I'm personally passionate about is um, the purpose of organizations. Why do they exist other than making money? And um, I so I, I, when I work with my clients I'm you know of course if they're too big it's hard to change their purpose but I'm always uh, wanting for them to have a purpose and then have that be the part of the story and their content that they're pulling out when you're working with smaller businesses do you find that easier or harder to 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 work on the notion of purpose is that part of your gestalt or or is that not quite part of the conversation it's very much a part of it I I often work with owner managers and then when we we work we do workshops where I ask them to bring the rest of the team in to help with planning out how they're going to be communicating their messages over time and how they're going to be doing things like their blog and their content marketing and their social media. Even if the rest of their team is not hasn't got marketing as their job, I think that everyone in a company should understand about how what marketing is nowadays and how it works because they've got their own personal brand to think about and they've got to show they've got something in their work that they love doing and that if you if you find out what that is and bring that out that's the magic that's what draws people to them and everyone has stories and experiences to offer 
to those ideas that can then be created as content, even if it's just one main person who's been given the final role of put, pulling all that together. So in our brainstorming sessions, I'm asking everyone, what, what do you love about working here? What's, what's great about this company? What are you doing that's different? What annoys you about your competitors? What do other people promise that they're not delivering but you are? All of those questions will help me extract the right stuff to share. Right, cool. And when you're doing those brainstormings, you're, are you in asking other people to be part of it as opposed to just the marketing person who comes yeah. to see you? Who are the kinds of people you say, hey, rope them in, bring them in? It'll be, it'll be anyone. It'll be like the uh, office manager or the, you know, the, c- the computer programmer who never op- answers the phone to anybody or... You know, all the different people in the business are useful for coming up with ideas for what the content is. They're, they're the ones inside the business. And even my company, I'm always asking my team for advice because nobody understands my business more than they do. So if I'm thinking, how do we uh, explain this product to new customers or how do we change the pricing of this, I will ask my team before any external business consultant. Cool. Well, um, assuming you don't have any more tips... Um, we've been at Soho House, so as, as people can listen here, they, we've been accompanied throughout the second half of our interview. How can people track you down, follow you? What would be the best way to connect with you? Um, well, they can email me. Um, my name is Karen with an E, so K-E-R-E-N at topleftdesign.com. I'd love it if you would email me. Or you can tweet me at topleftdesign. Um, or on our website www.topleftdesign.com you can find all of our details there so definitely come and say hi definitely that's good well Karen thank you for coming on the show pleasure thank you thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show you'll find the show notes on themindset.com that's mindset with a Y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. <laughs> 